0: You know i I'd rather have the spirit of God be able to move in a song than a good performance now there's that doesn't mean also that God's people shouldn't do well and practice to do well, but it'd be better for somebody to stand up with the presence and power of God and sing than to sing a performance. And not have the presence and power of God. And um, you young ladies, God can continue to use you, or you can quench His spirit as quickly as you got it. And all of you singers, the same way, God can use your song. It doesn't even have to be the most perfect harmony song. Just if you've got the presence and power of God, He can use it. But they sing all right, too, so that helps. I'd rather have that than the world's music any day of the week. Yes. Amen. And the words matter too. you You have to be you have to be singing the right words. You can have the presence of power of God, choose the wrong song and miss mess it all up. But good words to that song. Luke chapter nineteen in your Bibles, in verse number one. We're going to read a few verses here. And and you know, I'll be honest with you. I struggle a little bit to uh, preach these vision services. And do it with great liberty, one of the reasons is um, that you know you 've got a theme to reveal, and everybody's interested in the calendar and all that kind of stuff, and those are all fun things and and uh, enjoyable things. But if we put so much of the attention on that that the Holy Spirit of God can 't move, then I feel lost behind the pulpit and so, as I preach tonight i 'm going to do my best to give you the theme, but I really just want to preach this message and then Towards the end of the service, after the invitation, all that, we'll talk about the calendar and all those things. But um, let's stand to our feet, if we could, please, in honor of the Word of God. Luke chapter number 19, and we'll read it here in verse number 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Dear Heavenly Father, I I pray that You please move in the service here this evening and help us by Your power, Lord. There's only so much work that can be done in my power, Lord. Your Word will never return void, but Lord, I don't want it just to be your word, I want to also be under the control of your Holy Spirit, and I want to be a vessel for your Holy Spirit. It's, Lord, I move out of the way, and I, I, I yield this service to you, I, I yield this message to you, my thoughts, and my speech, and I ask you please to help me to say the things that you would have me to say, and not say the things that you don't want. Please, Lord, move in the service this evening, we pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. You can be seated. Some months ago, I think almost all year long on the theme for the next year. Uh, My first year here, the, the theme that God laid on my heart was to simply, largely focus on giving Him the preeminence by Him and for Him and in Him. And I wanted our church to make that the theme of everything that we did, that we do it by His power. And of course that we do it in fellowship with Him and that we do all things for Him. And so that was the first year. And last year I was really tempted to repeat it. I nearly repeated it not because I didn't have another idea. I just so much wanted us as a church to continue to give God the preeminence and make sure that we did all things by Him, for Him, and in Him. But we, as we got closer and closer to Vision Sunday, I, I believe the Lord might have been changing my heart, and last year we focused on doing all things in love, in love with Christ and in love for each other. This year I was tempted again to repeat, by Him, for Him, and in Him, <laughs> and nearly did. came this close. Uh, one of the men suggested maybe we ought to just make it the theme for our church. I said, well, that's not a bad idea, really. I'd have to think and pray about that some more. But um, something has been on my mind for some months now. Well, I guess for this particular case, some weeks now. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I believe that our church needs to do everything in our power to try to seek and to save that which is lost. Our hour is short. I don't know how much longer we have, but man does the world seem seem to be setting up for the Lord's return. And because of that, I... I feel even more pressed as the day of Christ approaches that we have got to get the gospel out. And so I want us to focus this year. In many ways and we'll express that as we get into the calendar, but I want us to put our focus on one simple theme and you can you can pull it up there if you have it brother Caleb Just simply one simple phrase and one simple thought this year. For the lost. That everything in our church be geared to doing everything we can for the lost. To reach the lost. To witness to the lost. To pray for the lost. To care for the lost. To have compassion for the lost. It is the heart of God. You can turn the screen off and we'll or go to the bricks or whatever and we'll get into the message here and then we'll get into the calendar here after a little while. Dearly Father, I pray again that you would please help me and speak as only you can. We pray these things as we ask it in Jesus' name. And Amen. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Yesterday, January 13th, in the state of Missouri, 210 people had recorded deaths. 210 people died. When I looked up the statistic before I came to church this evening, we were at 111 recorded deaths in the state of Missouri. That was at about 3 o'clock this afternoon. I didn't look again right before I walked out. Yesterday, of the 210 people that died, 47 died of heart disease, 41 from cancer, 21 from influenza and pneumonia, 11 from stroke, and I won't go through all the numbers, and then it, it gets less and less from there. This morning, I don't know how many people were here. It was a little bit uh, depleted in number due to the weather and everything, I suppose. But on low days, we've been having, oh, 90 people or so. I'd be surprised if we hit that this morning. But our average days have been maybe 110 to 130 people somewhere in there over the past few weeks. That means that if 210 people died yesterday in Missouri, and 111 had died as of 3 o'clock this afternoon, that if you were to look across the crowd of people that were here this morning, that would be the entire crowd plus more. Last year, 76,126 people died in the state of Missouri. 76,000. Now to put that in context, driving to Kennett, Look at every house and every store and all the people and all the businesses and imagine all of them dead, gone. Then drive northeast to Dexter and look in every house and every business and every place on all the roads and all the parking lots, all of them gone. Then drive west to Poplar Bluff and look in every place, in every corner where you see a person, all of them gone. And we still haven't hit the number yet. Now, how many of them do you suppose were saved? Probably a fraction. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We talked about being lost this morning what it means to be lost. We talked about the lost sheep and how Jesus compared, compared that to one coming to repentance. In general, I believe that Christians genuinely care for lost people. I believe that that Christians and, and those of you that are here this evening care for people's souls. Anybody in this room who is truly saved rejoices when a sinner comes to repentance. You don't always feel that way when you're sitting in the service and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is working on you so heavily that you feel like the weight of the world is sitting on your shoulders. You, you, you sometimes you feel like uh, people won't rejoice with you when it's time to come to the altar. And, and I've seen people uh, avoid making a decision for Christ because they were afraid of what other people thought I believe we may have had some here this morning that still did but uh, with the two that came forward this morning. I, I didn't expect that. I, if, if you were to ask me out of the people that were in the crowd that I thought were under conviction and that the Holy Spirit of God was working on, I would not have picked out those two individuals. I believe that there were still people sitting here this morning that were under conviction for their salvation and didn't get it settled. But I was glad to see, and we all rejoiced with, too, that God had settled today. I know that's the heart of God's people. I believe that if you're genuinely saved, you genuinely want to see people saved. But yes, My question is, will we actually do anything about our burden? You see, it's, it's more than just the pastor's responsibility. I am a Christian just like you are, therefore I am called to share the Gospel just like you are. It is my responsibility also, but it is more than the pastor's responsibility to try to lead somebody Lord. It's more than the bus worker's responsibility to try to share the Gospel. It is all of our responsibility. It is the responsibility of the entire church. We need to reach the lost. And I want us to focus on it this year. I want it to be the the heart of our church. I want to say, the number one, it is the responsibility of every church to reach the lost. In Matthew chapter number 16 and verse number 18, we all know the passage, but Jesus says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why did God build a church? Jesus didn't say, upon this rock I will build my church and they will sing great music and uplift spirits. There's nothing wrong with that, but that was not why he developed the church. Now when we come together in church and we sing some songs and our hearts are uplifted, praise the Lord. But that is not what he assembled us for. When he said that Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Within that statement, he declared his mission statement for the church that he was was building. Now I believe that the church started with Jesus Christ and His Apostles. I know many people will debate that. Some will say it started in the wilderness in the Old Testament. Some will say that it it started on the day of Pentecost and so on and so forth. Of course, there are others that say that right here, God is saying that it started with Peter. I don't believe that's what God was saying at all, actually. And this is another, really not the message, but an interesting thought. When Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build My church, He looked at Peter. Peter's name is... Is, uh, the meaning of it is little pebble. It's really kind of interesting if you go look up the meaning of Peter's name. It means little pebble. Jesus literally looked at Peter and said, uh, Thou art a little pebble, and upon this rock, pointing back to himself, I will build my church. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. He is the rock that is the foundation of our faith. It wasn't built upon Peter. He was the little pebble that was a chip off of the old block like all of the rest of us are. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the testimonies within it shall be a blessing. That's not what he said. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the people will have a place to go and hear some preaching. That's not what he said. But see, these are all things that we all, if we're not careful at times, can begin to become convinced the purpose of our church is. That the purpose of our church is for us to all come to church, hear some preaching, hear some singing, praise the Lord, lift up holy hands, and there's nothing... Y'all, listen, that's all a part of a good church service. I am not downing that. What I am saying is, that's not the mission statement of the church that God founded. That's not the purpose of it. When we come to church, there ought to be uplifting of hands. There ought to be hallelujahs. There ought to be praise the Lord. There ought to be amen. There ought to be good music. There ought to be the move of the Holy Spirit. God's people ought to be lifted and edified and helped. Those things ought to happen. But as a whole, we are supposed to mobilize as a group of people and go fight the gates of hell. When the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, I think some people get the idea that hell is on the attack in this verse that's not what is being said hell is on the attack Satan is on the attack and he is constantly trying to devour those that are uh, around him but that is not the context of what is being said gates don't move the gates are not trying to attack us We're supposed to be attacking the gates. When the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he's not talking about the fact that the gates are attacking us. He's saying we're supposed to be attacking the very gates of hell. That means that we are supposed to be willing to go to the ends of the earth or to the most uncomfortable situations in our community, in our region, in our town, in our school and fight the good fight of faith. In other words, we're supposed to be soul winners. That is the entire purpose of the church. That the church be an epicenter for lost souls. That we do everything in our power to try to lead the lost for Christ. Listen, if Poplar Bluff dies and goes to hell, it'll be for one of two reasons. One, because they heard the gospel and, and rejected it. Or two, because they didn't hear it at all. If the city of Campbell goes to hell, it will be for one of two reasons. One, because they heard the gospel and rejected it, or because they didn't hear it at all. And you say, well, my soul, we're in Campbell. There's churches everywhere on every corner uh, in in Campbell and in in, in Holcomb and in Kennett, and in in, in all of these surrounding areas. That there's churches everywhere. But y'all, I am still meeting people at the doorstep who don't know the way to heaven. They are still out there. And it is still our responsibility. It's the responsibility of every church because it was the design of the church. We should be attacking the gates of hell as a church. This requires action, not simply prayer and concern. It is wonderful to pray for lost souls. We ought to do that. The Lord said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that He may send labors into His harvest. But let me tell you something, prayer is only part of the action. We're supposed to get out and do something about it. Every church ought to understand what it is established to do. Listen to me, I'll tell you one of the reasons why churches all across America are dying. It's not because they don't have people in them. It's because they've lost their purpose. They're not leading souls to Christ anymore. And they think that the purpose of the church is for everybody just to come together and sit down and hear a little preaching and go home. And when you do that, and you don't lead new souls to Christ, and there aren't new converts sitting in the pews, you will eventually die by attrition. It's not because they don't have good preachers. It's not because they don't have good people. It's in many cases because they have stopped reaching the lost. Our first and most important mandate is to reach the lost. To storm the gates of hell before people fall in. That's why we were established as a church. It is our responsibility. It is the reason and purpose for our assembly to reach our local community and our region. That's what we are all responsible for doing. Every one of us. Which means that as a church, we need to be doing more to organize our efforts and not just simply sit back and wait for somebody else to do it. As a church, corporately, everybody needs to be involved in some way in trying to reach the lost. There are two ways that a church can reach the lost. We can reach our local community and our region and we can support missionaries who can do it in regions that we can't reach. We love to support missionaries as a church. One of the the best um, missionary-supporting churches that I have been in is Calvary Baptist Church. We support a good number of missionaries. It's wonderful. But y'all, that is not a substitute for why God established this church in our region. There are people dying and going to hell still in Campbell. I, I, went, I went to a ball game here a few days ago. I like supporting our, our, our uh, Campbell camels and I don't do it enough. I need to get to more ball games. And I had fun over there. Enjoyed being with them. Don't know what that is. And... Uh, Here's how confused people are about heaven and Christianity. At halftime, the two teams and their cheerleading squads get together, and they do some rap that i They're dancing to, and there's probably I don't know 15, 20 girls out there, and then people are dancing in the stands, and they're doing they're doing some dance and song and rap. Uh, that sounds so ungodly. I'm assuming that it's just the wickedness of the rap culture. But every now and then I hear things like Holy Spirit and church, and I'm like, what are, what are they saying? And we start turning around looking at each other going, what are they saying? I couldn't hear the words, so we looked it up later. I found out from somebody that was there what the name of the song was. I, I don't remember the name of the song right at this moment, but it was something like the, the church clap song or something like that. And So I looked it up, and I went, what in the world is this? I, I I won't I won't I don't have the words in front of me to to read them, but I mean they're out there dancing like they're in a nightclub and singing along with some kind of rap song that sounds like it came straight out of the pits of hell, and that's what people think loyalty to God and Christianity is. And some of them think they're going to heaven because they believe in God like I preached this morning, while the reality is their understanding of God is so warped they don't know the way because they're getting their information about all this stuff from the world instead of from the Bible. I was, I was in a, 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 a gas station, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And I don't know, I don't know who sang it. I don't, I don't care. But I heard some, I heard some country singer over the, the radio. It caught my ear. I don't really listen to those, those things all that much, but I heard something about God, and I thought, what are they saying? And... And so I started listening a little bit, and this singer, this country singer, says something about um, sitting here, drinking beers, talking God with my friends, amen. And I thought, sitting here, drinking beers, talking God, amen. That's what the world thinks godliness is. And he said amen in his song like he thought that was a good thing. Reminds me of Peyton Manning some years ago when he won a Super Bowl saying uh, he wanted to thank Budweiser and God, basically. He said, well, I want to thank God and I'm going to go home and drink some buds. Shake your head at this stuff, but that's that's what the world thinks about heaven and hell and God and their understanding is so warped now they don't have a clue what the way to heaven is are not going to heaven singing some church clap rap. You're not going to, not going to heaven drinking beers with your buddies and, and living in sin and then thinking that you're on your way to heaven and haven't ever repented of everything, ha- haven't ever repented of anything, haven't ever called upon a savior, haven't ever understood that you're a sinner, you're continuing to live in your sin and hang out with your buddies and drink your alcohol and think you're on your way to heaven because you believe in God you're wrong. And the problem is that churches have grown silent on the gospel because the church has become more about coming to church than it is about our original cause. We are all called. Number one, it's the responsibility of every church. Number two, it's the call of every Christian. Look, if you would please, at um, which passage do I want to go to here? John chapter 15. And look at verse number 16. John chapter 15 and look at verse number 16. The Bible says, Ye have not chosen Me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in My name, He may give it you. God tells us that He saved us and He chose us and ordained us that we should bring forth fruit. Now listen, I believe that fruit, some would debate and say, well, that fruit is only the fruit of the Spirit and the, the fruit of the Christian life and so on and so forth. And I, I wouldn't argue with that. I believe certainly that, that God wants us to be fruitful in our Christian life and our Christian walk in all of our actions. I believe that that is fruitfulness. Living for God and, 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 and doing the commandments of God is a fruitful Christian life. But how can you deny the fact that it's also true that when God talks about Uh, lost souls, he talks about them in the form of a harvest of souls, and they call that the fruit of the field. We're not only called to be good Christians, we are called to go forth with weeping, bearing precious seed. called to be fruitful. We are called to share the seeds of the gospel of Christ that others might hear His word. The Bible says in uh, Romans chapter number 10 and verse number 14, how then Shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. God has called every Christian to be a witness. He said, the gospel must first be published among all nations. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He very clearly taught His people that they were all called to share what had been taught to them. He told Timothy that the things that he had been taught, the same things commit thou to faithful men. Is everybody okay? We are all called. It is the church's number one responsibility as a corporate entity for all of us to seek the lost. And it is the call of every Christian. Please understand when I say it is the call of every Christian. That every single church member should be doing it in some way. Amen. Look, if you would please at your Bibles in Acts chapter number two, and let's look at verse number forty-six. This is the day of Pentecost, and they all get saved. So I say, oh, they all get saved. Many of them get saved, and. The Bible says that there was added unto the church that day about 3,000 souls. And then the Bible says in verse number 46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now God is the one that does the saving. But listen, God's people were engaged in some form of activity. Whether or not you want to debate that, well, some people will say, well, this was was the people going house to house and having devotions with each other after they got saved and fellowshipping with one another and congregating together. You know what? That may be true. Maybe they were all getting together as saved people in Christian fellowship. That may be true. It may not have been door-to-door soul winning, but either way, whatever they were doing, God was using to lead souls to Christ. So we can debate it until we're blue. I love how people say, well, you can't find door-to-door soul winning in the Bible. Okay, that's fine. But what you can find is you can find that people were a witness, and as a result, others were getting saved. Call that whatever you want. You ought to be a witness. And I believe whether you do that door-to-door, or whether you do that at the store when you're talking to somebody at the cash register, or whether you're talking to somebody in the aisle, or you meet somebody at the gas station, you're pumping gas, they're pumping gas, and the Holy Spirit of God says you ought to give them a tract. I believe we ought to be a witness that we have been called to do so and it is the calling of every Christian. The people that want to debate whether or not soul winning... Well, I'll tell you, the way they do soul winning today in those independent Baptist churches, that's not in the Bible. That's fine. But you know what's amazing about those people? Ask them the last time was that they led a soul to Christ. Most of those people are dead spiritually and it's easier for them just to show up and take their Bible to church and sit down and listen to some preaching and go home and live their secular, secular lives and never really do anything about witnessing to a lost soul. And because of it, they criticize those who are because the reality is they're under conviction about the fact that they don't. It's the call of every Christian. When... These people got saved. They immediately went out and told others something was happening. They were were being added to the church daily by whatever was happening with the fellowship of these Christians. The gospel had to be getting out some way. We're all called to do it. Every one of us are. It's not something that's just for the preacher or the missionary. It's something that every single soul is called to do. That every one of us, after we have been led to Christ, are supposed to then go out and teach others the same thing. Y'all, one of the, I've said this before, but one of the best soul winners in the Bible was the, the, this, the, uh, the, the woman at the well. She gets saved. She runs into the city. She hasn't had a soul winning class. She hasn't gone to Bible college. She hasn't even, best we can tell, gone to a church service yet. She gets saved at the well. She runs into her city and she says, Come see a man. (laughs) And they ran after him. What did she know about the Bible? What verses had she memorized? What soul winning conference had she gone to? None. She knew something had happened in her heart and she went and told everybody she could we're all called we are all called every church member every preacher Now, now let me just say this Now, listen y'all we came to church and I, I know why it's snowing and I mean you're here already so I guess what does it matter whether you leave now or 10 minutes from now preachers are called to be soul winners listen If you say you're called to preach, there is no substitute for taking this to a lost sinner. Preaching behind the pulpit does not fulfill your calling to go and share the, the gospel with a lost and dying world. They're not the same thing. These are two separate things. Brother, I can't remember if it was Brother Woodward or Brother Gomez, one of them used to say all the time at Bible college, don't be a yuppie, Christ- don't be a, don't be a yuppie preacher. What they meant by a yuppie preacher was don't be an office preacher who doesn't ever get out and do the work. Don't, don't ever be that guy that thinks by studying your Bible and going to the pulpit that you're fulfilling the calling of God. You've been called to go out and, be, and go soul winning and lead the, the lost to Christ as well. Now, I was planning on being a lot more punchy about this one, but it's a really small crowd and there's only a few preacher boys here, so they're going to feel like I'm preaching at them if I get any more punchy. So I have to be careful how I go about it. But we have to understand that preaching in a junior church, preaching in a nursery, nursing home, uh, preaching in a nursery... Um, preaching in a Sunday school class, preaching to a church is not a substitute for our call to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. It's not a substitute for it. If you say you're called to preach, you ought to be soul winning. It's a calling of every church member. It is the calling of every preacher. It is the calling of every deacon. You know, in Acts chapter number 6, when the deacons were chosen, one of them that was chosen was Stephen. Right? Well, the Bible says in Acts chapter number 6 that once they got that deacon thing settled, the Bible says in Acts chapter number 6, in in verse number 6... that they set these men before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them and the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people and then he went out and preached. Something about appointing deacons the Bible says, "Help the word of God increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith." When they, had the, when they got to the point where, the, uh, the, uh, um, where the, the widows were being neglected by some, and there was a murmuring of the Grecians uh, against the Hebrews because of this fact... Uh, When the church started getting up in arms at each other about this, and they went out and found seven men that were full of wisdom and full of the Holy Ghost, then it sounds to me like those deacons must have engaged in soul winning too because after they were chosen, the Word of God increased greatly, the disciples increased greatly, and a great number of the priests in that region came to the faith. Even the deacons seemed to have gotten involved. We're all called. Regular everyday church members, preachers, Deacons, it's the responsibility of every single Christian. It's the call of every Christian. And lastly, it's the heart of our Savior. Would you look at it please one more time in Luke chapter 19. Look at verse number 7, and when they saw it, they all murmured saying that He was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. By the way, can I tell you, there will always be opposition to you trying to witness. That's the way it goes. We saw it when we read the passage in Luke chapter number 15. They did the same thing. They murmured against Him there too. Right? You try to win a soul to Christ, there will be opposition. There will be opposition in your flesh. Your flesh will spring up against you and say, you don't want to go do that. That will be embarrassing. You know, I mean, what if somebody else hears you and it's just you and that guy talking and somebody walks by and hears you. And then you're going to be... Your flesh will spring up and oppose you and make it so difficult for you to do. And others will make fun of you. Others will come along and say, well, we got other plans on Saturday morning. When are you ever going to... You'll have opposition. You, you, you start trying to lead people to Christ, Satan's going to do everything in his power to try to stop you. They tried to oppose even Jesus Christ Himself when He tried to witness to one man. And His name was Zacchaeus. And when they saw it, they all murmured saying that He was gone to be guest with a man that was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And I have, if I have taken anything from any man by false accusations, I restore him fourfold. Zacchaeus is already in a spirit of repentance in verse number 8. He came, he came to find the Savior and he found him. And we don't get any, uh, we don't get any of the, uh, the, the rest of the story here. I, you, we, the blanks aren't filled in for us. What's going on here? Now, you're not saved by your works. J- Jesus makes that very clear. So it seems Zacchaeus already got saved somewhere along the line. He says, I'll get everything right and I'll go out and I'll make it right. And Jesus said unto him, this day is salvation come to this house. Well, that's an interesting statement because that's twofold. Salvation has come to this house because salvation itself is is standing in that man's house. (laughs) Jesus himself is standing in his house. He says, you you looking for salvation? It's here. (laughs) Here I am Believe in me, and thou shalt be saved. This day is salvation come to this house, but I believe it's also a proclamation that he's saying, All right, Zacchaeus is saved. Amen and amen. amen. And then he says this For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I think he essentially. You know what, I don't know why he made this statement, obviously so it could be recorded in Scripture, but he was obviously making a point to Zacchaeus as well, and maybe he was just putting his heart at rest that it doesn't matter that all these people were mocking the two of us. Maybe maybe he was communicating something else to him, that you were one of the lost sheep and now you have been found. But he tells him, look, I am the Son of God, I have come to seek and to save men like you, and that is the heart of our Savior. we say that we love Jesus. And I believe we do. But if we do, we'll love what He loves. Amen. I was debating about whether or not to even use this, but this picture sits in my office. It's actually a pretty decent painting. I didn't buy that somewhere. It sits on a bottom shelf over here. I kind of call this my sitting office. There wasn't enough room in this office to put all my books and everything. So uh, if I'm really going to get into some serious study, I, I do that at the, at the camp office. But sometimes I'll come over here for quick access and do a little study and reading and things with the few books that I have here but this one sits here in my sitting and counseling office and I've had it for some years some years ago I was uh, it was kind of cold outside and trying to find some way to prop it up and see if this will work it may not work and that's fine I'll lay it down if I need to I'm going to hold it. Um, Some years ago, I was. um, It was kind of cold outside. I didn't really want to go. And I felt like the Lord was impressing upon me to go. And witness. To somebody, uh, or or to uh, to spread the gospel, if possible, in kind of a country road that was, um, not as, frequently, uh, visited one of those places it's kind of hard to to really go door to door you know the houses are kind of spread out and you'd kind of have to drive to each house and i can't remember if i drove or if i walked but i don't remember it being a super fruitful day and truth is my flesh was fighting against me and i didn't really want to be out there and i knocked on a few doors and it wasn't really going anywhere and then i i walked down this this long driveway and and there was a uh, garage and I could see inside the garage it was sitting next to the house it was a detached garage with I think a little overhang or something so you could pass between the, the house and the garage and there was an older man standing in the garage and I thought man I'm arguing with the Lord while I'm walking down this long driveway Lord I don't want to disturb him he's not expecting somebody like me to come And but I went and, and before I got up to the, the door of the garage I, I kind of hollered to make sure you know didn't scare him just appear in his garage out of nowhere you know so I got I don't know how far away from the garage and I I just kind of hollered, Hello! Hello! And he turned around and looked and we talked for a couple minutes and I said, "Um, Has anybody ever taken the time to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure you go to heaven when you die? I was genuinely expecting him to not be interested and just ask me to leave. And he said, you know, preacher, nobody ever has. And so I just asked the next question, which I've been taught to ask in that situation. I I said, well, would you like to know? And to my surprise, he didn't hardly think about it at all. He said, preacher, I would like to know, but I don't have time right now. Well, often when you hear I don't have time right now, you know, the door is closed and I'm never going to get to this guy. But he said, could we make an appointment for you to come back? <laughs> and I said, I'd love to do that. I don't know if it was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I think it was towards the end of the week. He said, if you come back maybe next Tuesday, he said, we'll, we'll talk about it. I said, I'd be glad to. I prayed for him and his wife. I hadn't met his wife yet. Throughout the weekend, I showed up on Tuesday, and we sat down in their living room, and they, the two of them, you know, they were, um, they were old-fashioned both in their 80s or so, and I found out later, and uh, they dressed up because the preacher was coming. And, I mean, they, they, had their, they had their Sunday clothes on. And I sat down in their living room, and, and y'all, I didn't, I didn't share anything special with them. I literally just gave them the simple gospel. Just the simple gospel. My wife and I sat in the living room with them, and she went to, I won't say the church, it's still there, a Baptist church for 35 years. He would go, he said, every Christmas and Easter, but he didn't really like it, so he wouldn't really go with her all that much. I took him through the Gospel, and I said, can I ask both of you, have you ever called upon Jesus Christ and asked Him to save you from your sins? Have you ever believed on the Savior? That precious older lady, classy older lady, she... Looked up at me with tears rolling down her cheek. She said, You know what, preacher? I did that. I did that years ago, but I didn't know what it was called. I said, You've been going to a Baptist church and you didn't know what that was called? This is what she told me. She said, Well, our preacher doesn't preach out of the Bible. He, he Most of the time he preaches out of the Reader's Digest. That's what she said. I was shocked. Couldn't believe what I had just heard. I looked over at her husband. He's sitting over on the couch. I said, sir, have you ever believed in Jesus Christ and called upon Him to be your Savior? And he said, preacher, in all my years, I've never heard it the way I did today. And I've never asked him to save me. I said, would you like to? He said, I sure would. I don't remember the words he prayed or the words that he said, but I remember that he got saved. And he said, preacher, I want to give you something. Come over here to my uh, garage. I started to walk over to his garage with him and he said, I... few years ago I started doing some paintings and um, he said I just I want you just to pick any painting you see that you like and I went I mean that crazy guy these are real oil paintings he does does these things or did these things by hand I got to looking through all those things and he was in a butterfly kick I guess he had butterflies all over the place I pulled this painting off the wall I said well that wouldn't be okay he said that'd be fine And he gave that painting to me and he said, Thank you, preacher. I never saw him again. But every now and then I remind myself with a quick glance at a painting that sits in my office that there are still people out there that even if they've been to church over and over and over again, they still don't know the way. And it is the heart of our Savior that every one of them be saved. Amen. We need to do everything in our power To not just talk about it, not just pray about it, but be engaged in it. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please help us to truly, truly be a soul winner. Help us, Lord, please, to understand that it is our responsibility as a church, and it is our calling as a people, and it is the heart of our Savior. Lord, help us to be a witness. Now, I know, I know, smaller crowd,